Well, we come to chapter 5 in our series in Acts this morning, in the story of the church, and we come to opposition. There's so much in this chapter that we can't deal with all the details. And I left out the first 11 verses on purpose, but let me just sketch in what happened in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, because it's important. The early Christian community held all their possessions in common. What they had, they shared. It was a wonderful experiment in Christian communal living. And it shows the depth and reality of the early believers' care for each other. Verse 32 says, all verse 32 of chapter 4, says all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. And this had a tremendous effect. Because verse 33 goes on, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was with them all. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it, of what the church could be like. Continuing to testify with great power to the resurrection, and much grace being given to the whole church. That's a lovely idea, to share everything we have. But in common with other lovely ideas, it was spoilt by human greed. Two believers, Ananias and Sapphira, sold a patch of ground. And they were supposed, of course, to bring all the proceeds to put into the common purse. But for some reason, they decided to keep back some of it for themselves. They decided to deceive the apostles and keep some of the money for themselves. And they both paid a heavy price because when their deceit was discovered... They both fell dead on the spot. Now, I believe this incident links up very, very neatly with something right at the end of the chapter, which is why I read those closing verses. It demonstrates a simple fact, and it's this. If you try and resist what God is doing, you're in for trouble. In trying to trick the apostles, Ananias and Sapphira were actually lying to God. They were striking at the integrity of the infant church, and that was a cancer that has to be cut out. I'll say more about that when we come to verses 34 and following, but the message is simple. You can't resist God and get away with it. Well, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira had a profound effect both within and without the Christian community, very far from deterring people from responding to the gospel. It made people sit up and listen, and and, and they were filled with with the fear of God. They saw his power, not only in his judgment to Ananias and Sapphira, but in the miraculous healings performed by Peter and the other apostles. Verse 16 of chapter 5. Crowds gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick, and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Well, of course, the Jewish authorities, who were still smarting from the tongue-lashing they'd received from Peter and John following the healing of the the lame man at the gate beautiful, they were filled with, with jealousy at this fresh outbreak of unrest. And they clapped the apostles straight into jail. Now, I've called this sermon an unstoppable God. An unstoppable God. 
that's who we encounter in Acts chapter 5. It's a lovely, lovely story here. We didn't have time to read it all. But the authorities thought they dealt with the situation by locking the apostles up. But God had other ideas. And he sent an angel to open the prison doors. Verses 19 and 20. During the night, an angel of the Lord appeared and opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell all the people the full message of this new life. Well, we didn't read the next few verses. That would have made the reading too long. But clearly, when it was discovered that far from being behind bars, the apostles were actually there preaching in public, the authorities were beside themselves. As we heard in verse 27, the apostles were summoned before the full Sanhedrin, the religious council, and they were told to explain themselves. You can hear the high priest's fury, can't you, in verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Well, now we'll come on to uh, Peter's response in just a moment. But I want to pause there and ask this question. What do you do when you're faced with a set of alternatives, one of which you know is right and the other you know is wrong? And you know, too, that if you do what is right you're going to find yourself in serious trouble. What do you do when you have to pay the price of integrity? Ananias and Sapphira paid the price of deceit. What do you do when you're faced with a set of alternatives, one of which you know is right, one of which you know is wrong, and you know that if you do the right thing, you're in for it? What do you do? Well, we will find ourselves in awkward situations from time to time. A minister friend of mine was sharing that he was once asked to conduct a wedding between a woman in his congregation and the man she had met. And he spent time talking with them, but in the end, mainly because the man didn't share the woman's faith, he felt he had to advise her not to marry him. And that's a tough call, because ministers are programmed to please people. But it was even tougher for the woman's teenage son, also a member of the congregation, who agreed with the pastor. He found himself in the very unpleasant situation of having to choose between saying what he felt or putting his convictions aside and keeping peace and maintaining good family relations. Well, Peter and his fellow apostles were faced with the same dilemma, but on a much larger scale. They had to make a decision which they knew full well exposed them to serious danger. And in verses 29 and following, we find out what that decision was. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. 
Now, many of us here, perhaps not all, but many, were grieved, I'm sure, when both Houses of Parliament voted to uphold the bill to allow equal marriage, allowing people of the same sex to marry. We've been assured by our politicians that those of us who disagree with this legislation will be protected if we exercise freedom of conscience and refuse to allow our church premises to be allowed, to, uh, to, be, uh, to be used, rather, for such marriages. I wrote to the Attorney General. It's good to have friends in high places. He used to be my MP when I was living in Beaconsfield. And I met him once or twice. He's a good man. Kind man. He helped me help an old lady who was being threatened by her landlord. He wrote me a letter. And he told me that he could give no definite answer on the question of whether, under the Human Rights Act, an appeal could be taken to the European Court to prosecute someone for discrimination on the ground of sexual orientation. I've got it in black and white. He said there is a negligible risk. Now, what does the word negligible mean? You can ignore it? I suppose that's what it means. A risk that you can ignore? Well, if there had been no risk at all, surely he would have said, Mr. Martin, put your mind at rest. There is no risk of such a prosecution succeeding. He didn't say that. He said there was no negligible risk. Sorry. He said that the risk was negligible. It seems to me that even in this area, we are not fully protected there's no guarantee that what little protection we have will remain. Already Christians, as you know, have lost their jobs or been forced to pay heavy fines for expressing their beliefs about the sinfulness of homosexual practice. And let me say, as strongly as I possibly can, I'm talking about homosexual practice, not homosexual orientation. Many, many believers with same-sex attraction are just as loved, just as welcome, just as part of God's family as anyone else. I've only got three weeks left, so I can say what I like, can't I, really? <laughs> I would love to put a great big banner outside the church that says, Jesus loves homosexuals and so do we. But we have to be faithful to the Bible's teaching that a homosexual lifestyle lived out physically is not God's best and grieves his heart. But we love people. We love everybody. This week, I've had two wonderful opportunities to meet newcomers to our congregation. One of them was the lady who's unfortunately just gone out with her baby. I wish I could tell her the story of how when I was the baby's age, I used to create far more trouble than, than that little boy did, but anyway. And it's wonderful to say to people, there are no barriers, no hurdles you have to jump. Come and welcome whoever you are, whatever you are, whatever your sexual orientation. But we all, don't we, have to obey God's word. Some of us have problems with anger. 
Some of us have problems with lust. Some of us have problems with greed. Some of us have problems with telling the truth. We all have to submit ourselves to the discipline of God's word. Vaughan Roberts, who is the vicar of St. Ebbs in Oxford, a well-known and uh, uh, well-attended student church, has recently made his own homosexuality, um, his own homosexual struggles in this area public. He has admitted that that he struggles with same-sex attraction. He remains celibate because he wants to be faithful to the teaching of the Bible. Some others who struggle in this area have decided to get married. Whatever choice they make, they make the choice of being faithful to biblical teaching. I found this testimony in the monthly newsletter of the True Freedom Trust, which is a network which supports Christians who struggle with sexual attraction, homosexual attraction, but who want to live faithfully. And this is what a young man said. The most important question to answer is the one Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? My answer is yes. A thousand times yes. By the grace of God, my love for Christ is greater than my attraction to other men. Love enables me to pursue holiness rather than homosexuality. Love compels me to serve God rather than my own selfish desires, however natural they may seem. Well, maybe you're facing a struggle. It may be not in this area, but it's just as real, I'm sure. Maybe you've come this morning carrying a burden, feeling frustrated, feeling weary, feeling depressed, feeling a failure, maybe even feeling caught in a net from which you can't break free. The opposition is so strong and you feel it in your spirit. Now, here's the question. Are you, to the best of your ability and in the power of the Holy Spirit, seeking to live a life of obedience? Are you? If you can answer yes, it doesn't matter how many times you fail. What matters is not whether you succeed or fail, but whether you go on trying. Because the only real failure is to throw in the towel. We all struggle. We're all broken. We're all engaged in spiritual warfare. We all face opposition. We may lose a battle or two, but the final outcome is certain because Christ is the victor. So in whatever way you're struggling with anger or failure to forgive or doubt or lust or anger, whatever it is, some ungodly passion, whatever it may be, this is God's word for you this morning, verses 19 and 20. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. You see, God knows the struggle you face, and he's longing to help you, and he will help you. He'll grasp your hand like David grasped Joe's hand, and that's the hand that made the universe. And think of the strength and power behind that hand. How do you think Peter and the other apostles were able to face down the Sanhedrin? because they'd been 
witnesses of what God had done in Christ and because the Holy Spirit was working in their hearts and lives. Now, Peter's words incensed the Jewish leaders. Verse 33 says that they were furious. They wanted to put the apostles to death. But at that moment, one of the members of the Sanhedrin stood up. Good man. Gamaliel. And he gave them some wise counsel. And he reminded them of two hotheads, Theudas and Judas the Galilean, who'd been challenged by the, uh, by the state, who'd been put down in no uncertain terms. Each had gathered a considerable following, but both had come to nothing. And then in verse 38, he gave this wise advice. In the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves struggling against God. Do you see how that principle that I spoke about right at the very beginning ties in with the words at the end of the chapter? If you try to deceive God or resist what he's doing, You're in for trouble. He's an unstoppable God. You can't stand in his way, or at least if you do, you'll come a cropper. And I find that so encouraging because there are more and more people from the prime minister down trying to stand in his way and frustrate his purpose, but they'll fail. We may be called to pay the price of persecution as the forces of secularism appear to gain the upper hand. But history has proved this one thing, beyond doubt. The times when the church has grown most and been freest of compromise and lethargy are the times when it has been persecuted. Now, I don't believe we should pray for persecution. God forbid. But I do believe we should be ready for persecution. And we should remember what the Apostle James said to James chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything That's what I long to be. And please God, it's what you long to be too. Mature and complete in Christ. Not lacking anything. And if our hearts and lives are open to the spirit of God, that is precisely what he will make us. Amen.